OMG, your BFF's birthday is here and you don't know what to get her? No worries. 1-800-Flowers.com has you covered. 1-800-Flowers is the ultimate birthday gifting destination. For those who know, it's not about giving a gift. It's about giving the gift. Make every birthday brighter with exclusive offers and great values on gorgeous bouquets and arrangements. To order today, visit 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. Hi, this is Jay Billis of ESPN, and you're listening to the ML Sports Platter. The ML Sports Platter, back with you all over the major platforms. Download, subscribe, leave feedback, and a five-star review where you get podcasts on your smartphone device. You can hit me on Twitter at Mike L Sports and ML Sports Platter on Facebook and Instagram as well. We are brought to you by Bryant and Stratton College, Brian Comboy of Mass Mutual New York State, and the Allen Angus Pub, home of the best star in Angus Burger in town. They've got great burgers, awesome wraps, you name it. And uh, don't forget about gift cards for any occasion at the Allen Angus Pub. The entrees are great, and be on the lookout for all of their specials where you can see those on uh, Twitter and Facebook as well. The Al and Angus Pub, awesome beers on tap as well. AlanAnguspub.com, AlanAnguspub.com. If you're in and around Central New York, stop by before and after all the big events in Central New York to the Al and Angus Pub. I am super excited to reconnect with uh, an old radio pal of mine who was just doing unbelievable things right now in the city of Boston, um, working some studio hosting and producing uh, and, and hosting in general, Red Sox games, shows, you name it. He is a host on WEEI Radio, the All Sports Talk interviews, game coverage, and podcasts. Uh, one of the best stations uh, in the country and has been for a long time, 93.7 FM, WEEI. It's our buddy, Brian Barrett. Brian, how are you, man? Mike, how are you, man? I'm I'm well. I'm well. Just enjoying, you know, sports being back and the fans being back, and man, it, it makes a difference, doesn't it? You're in that uh, Boston uh, area, fans back. It just it changes everything. I don't know when people thought that we were going to just get used to no fans. I I, I don't think I could ever get used to new, you know, no fans. What has it been like for you watching the games, seeing the games, being at the games uh, with with crowds back, man? Yeah, I think the biggest thing I noticed was at Fenway Park, the first time they got back to close to full capacity, and the Red Sox had a game where Adam Adovino got himself out of a bases-loaded jam. Well, I should say he got out of a bases-loaded jam. He didn't get himself into it, but just the electricity of the crowd. You can't tell me that the crowd didn't help him in that particular scenario, right? So so often we saw last year where we just got used to the fact that nobody's there, but now having fans at Fenway Park, it's awesome because it gets crazy in there. It fires up the players it's just totally different I, I was when i was watching these games on tv mike for so long i was thinking you know i really don't miss the fans as somebody watching on tv but then when you get them back you're like oh yeah this is how this is supposed to be right i mean it's amazing having fans back in it's awesome okay how would you explain to an outsider brian barrett what the red sox are doing right now it's really surprising because they got off to such a good start because of the starting pitching, right? The starting pitching was the question coming into the season where we said, well, the lineup's going to hit. We knew that because Xander Rogarts has developed into one of the better players in the sport. I mean, since 2019, he basically leads all shortstops in most assistive categories. We knew what you had in Rafael Devers. You knew what you had with J.D. Martinez. Everybody 
for the most part, expected him to bounce back after a weird 2020 season, which it, Alex Horowitz says, well, he had a bad two months. That's all it was, right? He only played for two months. But the starting pitching was the surprise to begin the season. But here's the thing. As of late, the starting pitching has been really bad. The starting pitching has really fallen off a cliff. And I'm not relating that to the crackdown on foreign substances because if you look at some of the spin rates, now with the exception of Garrett Richards, that's a real problem. Garrett Richards wouldn't throw a curveball in his last outing, didn't throw a single curveball, that's his best pitch. That's a real issue. But for the most part, the starting pitching had been good, and now it's really just fallen off a cliff. So that's the thing you wonder, how long now can they walk this tightrope, so to speak, when their starting pitching has been really, really struggling. And the fact that if you look at it right now, so their starters since the start of the first Astros series, which was May 31st, they have a 307 opponents batting average last in baseball, 167 whip, 29th last in the American League, 606 ERA, 26th in baseball, 3.49 walks per nine, 27th in baseball. Somehow during the stretch, Mike, they were well over 500. It's amazing to think about it. And in that stretch, I'm sorry to tell you, they swept your New York Yankees because the lineup finally showed up, but they are going to need some reinforcements at some point this season. I can tell you it's not going to be something they make a massive move externally. Like they're not going to rent Max Scherzer for a year. That's just not how Hein Bloom, who's now running the Red Sox, that's not how he does business. Their reinforcement is going to have to come internally, whether it be Tanner Hell, who will be part of the equation at some point this season. He's coming back. They had to shut him down for a little bit, but he just went out and threw three scoreless innings the other day with six strikeouts. He's the best pitching prospect right now in the organization that's healthy. Brian Modahead, Tommy John surgery. And then there's the Chris Hill guy, the guy, the lefty with nasty slider that we haven't seen for a couple of years. So that's how they're going to try to improve the pitching staff. The bullpen has been really good. And especially, I mean, they had a game where they just went five scoreless innings after Eduardo Rodriguez gave up five runs in his six innings. So the bullpen has been a major factor, but the starting pitching as great as it was at the beginning of the season, Mike, it's really struggling as of right, right now. And they're winning these games like against the Braves, 10-8, 10-8. So the starting pitching that we thought was, oh, yeah, maybe they got some with these guys. No, no, they're going to need some help. But this lineup's going to continue to hit, so they're going to be in every game because that's how good that offense is. So I, I shouldn't say I'm super surprised at what they're doing. I was surprised what we got at the beginning of the season from the starting pitching. But now we're finding out these guys are pitching to the back of their baseball cards. Well, look, uh, the Yankees, I, I, I go back to when we, you and I were together in radio in Central New York. I, I told you, I told, I to, tried to tell everybody that you don't have to worry about the Yankees as long as Brian Cashman is the GM. I'm sorry, that guy is just, his tenure is up. He's made so many bad moves. He, you know, the Stanton deal. I thought he finally figured it out, Brian, in 2016. Trade Miller, trade Chapman, we're not a contender. Revamp things, here we go. And the Yankees were kind of darlings the year after, and then all of a sudden they get Stanton, and it's like that's just you you can't you can't win the way they're built, and 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 adding Stanton, then you add a Voight, and you ha- you just have so many guys do the same thing. They lack pitching; it ends up taxing the bullpen. I, I just the Yankees are so irrelevant to me uh, right now in in the sport. It, it's it's just mind boggling. You mentioned Heim Bloom. Here's a guy who comes in who says, hey, we want to get under the luxury tax, right? We want to do this. We want to do that. Uh, uh, work players in, keep the farm, keep our core, except for one guy, Mookie Betts. What did you think about when they said, we're not giving Mookie Betts the blank check? What did you think then about it? And what do you think now? 
Well, I've always been, and I'm kind of been in the minority in this. I thought it was the right move for a couple of reasons, right? So if Mookie actually wanted to play ball with the Red Sox, he would have been playing ball with the Red Sox. There's, It's been well reported. He was offered multiple contracts, not just the final deal, if you will, or the final contract to sign him long term, but he was offered multiple deals. Like when he was younger, he was offered over $100 million, didn't want that, wanted he was offered over $200 million, didn't want that. And he was offered over $300 million, didn't want this. And this is before he was even close to approaching the final year of arbitration with the Red Sox, right? So they tried to do business with Mookie on multiple different occasions. He went out of his way at times to say that just because he wants to become a free agent doesn't mean he doesn't like Boston. He made it abundantly clear that he wanted to be a free agent. So I truly do not believe that Mookie Betts was ever going to sign a long-term contract extension with the Red Sox, no matter what that blank check was. He wanted to get to the open market and actually test it. Now, when he ended up getting traded to the Dodgers, he found an organization that he wanted to be with, a place that he wanted to be with. So he was willing to talk business with them. And I think also part of it, Mike, I don't think we can underestimate the fact that when he gets to the Dodgers, we're in the middle of a pandemic, right? So when he gets there, maybe he's thinking to himself, well, what is the money going to be like on the other side? Because Mookie Betts is a businessman. Xander Bogart went to the Red Sox a couple of years ago, and he said, hey, I want to be here long term. Let's get a contract done. Mookie Betts is the opposite of that. He wanted to get to the market. He wanted to test free agency and see what he could get. So when I look at it, you had a lot of Red Sox fans that were calling the Red Sox cheap. Well, you can't do that because they've led the payroll in like two of the last five seasons. They've been in the top five four years in a row entering this season where they dropped a little bit below that. But for the most part, the Red Sox have never been cheap. You can't accuse them of that. They gave David Price a big contract. Heck, they gave Nathan Avaldi like four years and $68 million because he had one good postseason. That's the previous regime with Dave Dombrowski not – Hein Bloom, although that contract doesn't look as bad as it originally did, but if I'm Hein Bloom, it wasn't just Hein Bloom's decision. It was an ownership decision. I feel like it was the right one because, okay, Mookie's entering the final year. So do you want him to get to free agency? Because he told you he's not doing business until the season's over. So he told the Red Sox that he's not doing a contract. Even if he signs with the Red Sox, somehow you convince him to stay. He's not doing that till the end of the season. So do you let him walk? for a compensatory draft pick, or do you say, okay, let's look at the Dodgers, who have one of the best farm systems in the sport. Let's see which guys we like in there. Identify a couple of those guys, even though it's going to be a tough pill to swallow that you're sending away Mookie Betts, and they identified Alex Verdugo. They like Jeter uh, Jeter Downs, rather, who's an infielder. He's a top three prospect in their organization by most entities. And actually, Connor Wong made his MLB debut last night as a pinch hitter. He's a catching prospect in that. So, I feel like in this particular situation, you had to get ahead of it. You can't just let a guy walk to free agency because we know when they get there, when Max Scherzer tells the Tigers he wants to go to free agency, he's not signing their contract, he goes to the Nationals. Bryce Harper goes to the Phillies. So maybe that worked out better for the Nats because they won a World Series. But when these guys get to the market, it's very rare that they come back, with the exception of like maybe CC Sabathia, Mike, that second contract he signed with the Yankees where he technically, I guess, could have gone somewhere else. Most guys go somewhere else. So I felt like the Red Sox actually made out well on that. And I have a, I guess this is a take that was also in the minority. I don't believe that Mookie's going to age very well. And his numbers are not great this season. In fact, you can compare him and Alex Verdugo's numbers. I'm not telling you that Mookie Betts is not significantly better than Verdugo. I'm just saying, I just look at the player as he's 5'10". His game's based on his athleticism, his bat speed, etc. I don't feel like he's going to age particularly well. Not to mention the fact he doesn't, he doesn't have much power to the opposite field. So I wasn't as upset with 
as most Red Sox fans are. And this whole idea that the Red Sox are cheap, like, give me a break. <laughs> Look at the contracts they've signed. That is ridiculous. Brian Barrett chalk, talking some New England sports here on the ML Sports Platter. At It's Brian Barrett on Twitter, host on WEI Boston. Uh, Brian, before I move to the other teams in, in your area, um, for my listeners, many of whom are, are Central New Yorkers, uh, remember you probably from your days uh, anchoring and hosting here, uh, give people an idea of what your role is for this group, WEI. Yeah, so right now during the Red Sox season, I pretty much do all the post-game shows during the week. So, you know, it's basically, as you know, Mike, it's every day during the baseball season. One of the beautiful things about the sport, man. Every day there's a story. I know. It is is really unbelievable. It is really good to keep up with the team, like, on a daily basis, too, right? So, yeah, during the week at WEI, we do... uh, Red Sox review, which is essentially just a post game show. I mean, Mike, you remember we used to do it all the time for Syracuse basketball sure. post game show sure. after those games. So it's it's a lot of fun. I mean, and then during the weekends, I'll do a lot of I'll do pre game shows as well for the Red Sox and a little bit of post game show on the weekends as well. And then during the I should say the off season for the Red Sox, I do a lot of hosting during the weeks, Monday through Friday. I'll do. Um, one of our programs, late night, 10 to 12, different spots here and there, a lot of weekend stuff uh, as well. But during the Red Sox season, it's pretty much all Red Sox because after 6 p.m., unless they're on the West Coast, of course, but after 6 p.m., our programming for the night is all Red Sox-based because we have a pregame show from 6 to 7, then we get the Red Sox whenever they start, whether it's 7-10 at home. And then basically we take that all the way up until midnight following the game. Usually it depends on how long the game is, how long of a post-game show we get. So, like last night, Ryan Yarborough, apparently he doesn't like Red Sox Review, which is our post-game show, because that guy, the lefty for the Rays, he works, oh my God, so slow. Like, this is a reason for a pitch clock. And he stinks. He's he brutal, talking. dude. Oh my God. He, Dennis Eckersley on the Nesson broadcast was all over him. They, they, they said he's laboring right now at exit. I'm laboring watching this guy. <laughs> yeah. Said it was the worst performance he's ever seen, but yeah. It's tough to watch, but it's a lot of fun. I mean, I love doing post-game shows for any sport. I mean, that's how I got into really this business, right? Doing post-game shows for Syracuse basketball back in the day at the Score 1260 was doing those post-game shows. I love that because people are so fired up after games one way or another, and it's crazy with the Red Sox, especially now. I did this last year, too. I did it in 2019, the post-game shows, and last year is just so tough because what happened, Mike, because the Red Sox were so bad at the beginning of the season— it was a weird year to begin with, right, with the COVID situation. It was like, it was almost apathy with the fan base, right? They weren't mad. They just accepted the team was terrible. It, at least going back to 19, the Red Sox are coming off their World Series run in 18, which was arguably the best team in the history of the franchise. And then in 19, they were just so disappointed, uh, disappointing, rather. So you had people that wanted to talk about the Red Sox. They were pissed off at the Red Sox. They were mad at Dave Dombrowski who was running the team. They were mad at Alex Cora for making some weird decisions. Like, why did you lead off Andrew Benintendi to start the year instead of Mookie Betts? Mookie was the MVP when he was hitting leadoff, right? So that was awesome. And now this year, the fact that they're good, and we finally arrived at the point where I try to tell people, like, we're past the point of surprising. Like, if you, are you surprised where the Red Sox are at? You're here, so now you have, should have legitimate expectations. So when they do play poorly and they make mistakes and they lose two or three to the Royals, people are fired up and they want to talk about it, which is awesome. What do you expect out of the Patriots this coming season? Oh, man. it's So that last week, the Patriots have their mandatory minicamp. And on Tuesday, 
Cam Newton apparently had an awful practice, right? Now, I was not down there, but I did a show with a guy Thursday night uh, who covers the Patriots for the station, worked for the Patriots previously, and he said Cam Newton was really bad, and Cam Newton was moping around. Mac Jones is getting more reps as the top quarterback, right? And then on Wednesday, they come out, Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels, and they throw like a bunch of stuff at Mac Jones, like that you would not expect, right, for a rookie. And Josh McDaniels is fired up. So the theory being that the reason the Patriots did that was to try to see how much they could throw at Mac Jones. And from all reports, he did pass with flying colors after that. He made some big throws, et cetera. But the thing that I can't really wrap my brain around is the fact that there's this idea here locally that Bill is going to wait until after the game against Tom Brady and the Buccaneers, which I cannot remember a more anticipated event in the history of the city when Tom Brady comes back to play the Patriots mm. in week four. But this idea that Bill's going to wait until the Patriots play Tom Brady and the Bucks to put Mac Jones in, it just doesn't make any sense to me. So if we get into training camp and Mac Jones was better than Cam Newton at mandatory minicamp, so if Mac Jones goes into training camp and he outplays Cam Newton, I don't see how Bill Belichick, and I know Bill really likes Cam. I mean, there's a reason Cam Newton's still here. Bill really, really likes Cam Newton. I feel like he likes the guy more than he likes the player. But anyway, that's besides the point because if Cam Newton really does have the a chance to win the job, obviously based on the fact that he was the starter last year. But I can't see Bill Belichick. If they go into training camp and Mac Jones outplays Cam Newton, I don't see any way that Cam Newton starts at quarterback. It just goes against everything in terms of, Bill Belichick's ethos. He has to start Mac Jones if he outplays Cam Newton in training camp because that's what his whole program has been built around. Just like if one cornerback is better than the other cornerback in camp, he's going to go with the guy that's the better player, whether he's an undrafted guy like Malcolm Butler was or whether he's a first or a second round pick. So I just don't see a way that if Mac Jones outplays Cam Newton, he doesn't get the job. And if he doesn't outplay Cam Newton at training camp, well, Mike, then we got a totally different problem because then you're talking about how the heck did this guy not beat out Cam Newton in training camp because that was one of the worst quarterbacks I've ever seen play last year. Okay, I got two what's next to close. Um, what's next for the Boston Celtics? I'm not an NBA guy. I've gotten so far away from the sport. They really ticked me off the last couple of years with some of their views on, on different things going on. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> but I just, I'm away from the NBA. I know you love the NBA. Um but what's next for that franchise? And also, another what's next in, in your area, the Boston Bruins, who I think have got a lot of critical decisions coming up. I read an article, actually, I think it was on your guys' website. Somebody wrote um, about the, uh, you know, kind of playing a GM, and, 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 and I think it was Scott, actually, and, and, you know, what moves they should make and staying out of the Jack Eichel sweepstakes and all these different things. What's next for those two teams? Because they're they're in big spots here, the Celtics and the Bees, Brian, right? Yeah, no doubt about it. The Celtics, is, it's been one of the most fascinating off-seasons I can ever really remember. So if you told me after the season, hey, Danny Ainge is going to step away and he's going to step down, I wouldn't have been shocked. And if you told me that, hey, Brad Stevens is going to decide to leave, I wouldn't have been shocked because Brad did look like he was worn out. And there's been multiple reporting, Adrian Wojnarowski, that he was worn out. There was a report this week in The Athletic that there was some issues with him and Kemba Walker. So if you told me that both those guys were going to leave or either one of the two was going to leave, it wouldn't surprise me whatsoever. <laughs> Mike, if you told me that 
Danny Ainge was going to step down and Brad Stevens was going to be the president of basketball operations. I would have said, what the hell are you talking about? Brad Stevens is now going to run the team. It just, it's so bizarre how that happened and transpired. And then we get this situation where the Celtics, they don't go outside of the bubble. They don't go outside of the family, so to speak, to look at other general manager candidates. I don't know, like Sam Presti, who's running Oklahoma City, right? There's a million different people you could look at. They just named Brad the president of basketball ops. And then they say, hey, um, well, Brad's going to do a really thorough head coaching search. So Brad didn't have to go through an interview process with other people, <laughs> yet he's going to interview like 15 people to take over his job. It's remarkable. And so, by the by the way, can, can I just add yeah, this quickly? From from a pure power standpoint, I'm not talking about roles, combined roles, structure, all this. This kind of reminds me of Patino a little bit, you know, with like the yeah. the, the, the power part, right? Yeah, Mike, don't say don't say that name. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Massachusetts I know. people are really, but you're right though that now it's like it's Brad's got all the power. The only difference, I guess, I would say, is that Patino was running the front office and coaching the team correct and yep. Yep. decided to get rid of red like yep. that's kind of an Which issue is, but yeah. uh <laughs> yeah you should probably involve that guy in most business decisions based on his uh resume but brad it's i i can't knock his first move a kemba walker he's got basically he's got an arthritic knee it seems like he can't stay healthy so you bring back al horford who's less money and you send kemba walker out and kemba walker was an issue there's no doubt about that in terms of his actual performance on the court i'm not talking about anything it's not like a Kyrie situation where he's toxic for the locker room everybody liked him but he hurt the team on the court and he was barely available so you bring back Al Horford so I actually think he helps that guy but the problem is from a financial standpoint I don't know what the big move is this offseason that Brad can make now obviously he's going to have to figure out who his next head coach is going to be but what's the move that he can make from a financial standpoint to help Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown like I would love them to try to consider some sort of sign and trade with Lonzo Ball, but I don't know, first of all, other teams are going to be interested in Lonzo Ball. They have more to offer than the Celtics do in terms of a trade. So then the next question becomes, well, are you trading Jalen Brown? Like, are you shaking things up that much? He's a 24-year-old wingman. Everybody in the NBA is looking for that. I wouldn't trade him for a guy like Bradley Beal. If you could get Bradley Beal without trading Jalen, sure, if you can wait a year and he comes to play with Jason Tatum, his good friend, sure, I mean, that makes sense to me, but I would not trade him for Bradley Beal. I think Bradley Beal, quite frankly, is a little bit of an overrated player. He's supposed to be this great shooter. He shot like 35% from three this season. So I wouldn't do that. And then the big question is if Damian Lillard ever wanted to come here, okay, then you have a real discussion about Jalen Brown, but I don't see the quick fix that Brad has to make this team better. That's why I think part of the trade was, okay, I know that the Celtics don't ordinarily get free agents, but the hope is, all right, maybe with Jalen, uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, two budding stars in the league, especially Tatum who hung 60 on the nets in the postseason is okay. If you get to next offseason, Brad has basically said part of the reason we did this deal was financial flexibility. You will have an opening for max salary cap space in 2022. So if you're able to have another great season from Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and you make a run, could they convince somebody to come here to play with them? And Jason Tatum has an opportunity this summer. He's one of the guys playing on the Olympic team. This is when these super teams are formed. He can try to recruit somebody. But in terms of a quick fix right now, I don't see it. They'll be better than they were this year just because Tatum's year older, Brown's year older. And I, quite frankly, I've heard a lot of, well, they got worse because Kemba's gone. No, they didn't. Kemba barely plays. At least Al Horford. I know that he didn't play a ton last year. They He had a little bit of an injury with his knee, but that is not an issue going forward. And secondly, Al Horford was also sitting out games because the Thunder were trying to lose. So they said, hey, Al, don't play. So Al's better for this team than is 
Kemba Walker, but in terms of next year, I don't see them making any sort of significant run unless Tatum takes another massive step, which he could, because I just don't see a way, and this is nothing against Brad. I just, his hands are tied. Danny Ainge left him with a mess. He's got a million young guys on this roster that aren't NBA players. And he's got Taco Fall. He's got the Trump Montwaters, the Carson Edwards of the world. So the problem is Brad doesn't really have a lot of avenues to get significantly better. So I think you, you try to make some moves on the edges. If they could get Lonzo Ball, I would absolutely love that. But I don't see them being able to make that big swing. Um, in terms of the Bruins, man, that was just a disappointing way for their season to end, right? Because you felt like, okay, it's now it's a three-year thing with them, which really stinks because – you felt like this core, Mike, would have won more than the cup they won in 2011. They've yeah, had a it's lot hard, though, in. man. Hockey's hard. You know, you get a team sure. like the Islanders, no stars, and they just beat you to a pulp. They grind. Trotz is a great coach. You can lose. That's, I mean, that's the sport. That's how it goes. You get a hot goalie, you lose, you know? Yeah, it's incredible, too. So 19, they lose to the Blues. They lose game seven yeah. at home, and Jordan Bennington just steals that game. Right. I mean, yeah, I mean, yes. he was incredible. He really was. He got peppered with shots in the first period. He kept turning them away. And and by the way, he was in the Bruins' uh, system. Yeah, he but was. Anyway. And by the way, the Blues in that game used a little of that Bruin medicine right back at them with their grinders, you know, with, with the Patty Maroons and company. They, they, they worked Boston in that seventh game. They really did. Oh, yeah, and Ryan O'Reilly was the best player in the series. Yeah, right? Buffalo Sabres. Yeah. Buffalo he, Sabres. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he outplayed Patrice Bergeron. So then you had that year, which you felt like the everything lined up for the Bruins, right? Because the Lightning got upset by Columbus, if you remember back to that 19 season. They got swept. It was like, what the heck's going on? And then they didn't have to play Washington or Pittsburgh. So they got an easy trip to the Eastern Conference, really to the Stanley Cup final. Their toughest series was Toronto, and you knew Toronto was never going to win a Game 7. And then they end up beating Carolina in, or Columbus and Carolina. And Carolina is better now than they were then. But it was a very easy path to the Stanley Cup. And then when the Blues are there, you felt like the Bruins were the better, more skilled team. And the Blues just roughed them up. You had the injury to Char in that series. And so that season, uh, the finish was just so difficult. It was a difficult pill to swallow. And then you flip forward to 2020. They're the best team in the NHL during the regular season. And then they get put on hiatus for two months. And they did not have good breaks as it pertains to COVID because David Pasternak comes back. He basically can't be part of the ramp-up period because of the fact that he violated the COVID rules. He was, like, playing hockey with some random dudes at Hockey Town, you know, like some non-NHLers, which he couldn't do. He violated it. So he had to sit out basically the whole training camp. So when he comes back to the bubble, he is not the same player, and he was dealing with an injury. Tuka Rask leaves the bubble due to a family situation, and then get absolutely worked by the Lightning. And then this year... It's like, okay, they start off the season well, and then they're kind of struggling, and then they make the trade for, of course, Taylor Hall from the Sabres, and that kind of gives them a jolt because now Krejci has two guys on that second line when you're looking at Craig Smith, who they had signed in the offseason. It looks like a really nice deal for Don Sweeney, and then they pick up Taylor Hall, so now you have two legitimate lines, but then... You run through the Capitals, which is a really easy series, but then you look at the fact that, okay, you come out of that series and you get to the Islanders and Brandon Carlo goes down. Okay, so then you look at the size of the defense, right? So Carlo's down. Kevin Miller never plays in that series because he was hurt in that series when Orlov of the Capitals took him out. So you're down your two like biggest defensemen. And now you're dealing with McAvoy and Grizzlick and all these smaller defensemen. Now McAvoy's a stud, absolute incredible oh. player. Grizzlick was horrible in 
game six of that series. He's a good player, but you just didn't have the personnel to match up with the Islanders. And you let a lot of these games get away where you had opportunities to close it and you just couldn't do it. And now the question becomes going forward to your original question about the Bruins is what the hell are you doing it with the goalie? Because Tuca is now in a situation where he said after the season, well, he's got a torn labrum in his hip. Okay. So I think you got to move on from him. Yeah, I do. I'm with you, Mike. I think it's time. Yep. Yeah, I'm with you because they love Jeremy Swayman. That's what they said, which yeah. that's another thing that irritates me. They shouldn't have said that if they weren't going to play him, right? I mean, Bingo. we see teams in the NHL playoffs flipping guys all the time, oh. flipping back and forth. Look and at Vegas. You, yeah, I mean, unbelievable. They went back to Florida. He, he's fine. He's okay. He's gonna make. He's gonna make it through. So, like, you think about it. What happened with the Bruins is they played three overtime games in the Capital Series. The first three games of the series. So Wednesday to Friday, I said, well, if they feel so great about Swayman, who was great during the regular season, I know a lot of the, those games were against bad teams, but he was good. Why don't you give him a shot in this Friday night game? And it's just everybody would look at it and say, okay, it's a rest thing with Tuca because you were resting him during the regular season, right? So why not give him the opportunity then? It made no sense to me whatsoever. And Tuca should have never started game six. He came out of game five because they said it was a maintenance thing. Okay, so how did his hip get better between those two games? They should have gave Swimming an opportunity. So now I look at it as you're going into the season with Swimming as your starter, no matter what, because... Tuca's dealing with an injury. So are you going to wait around, give him decent money to come back at the end of January or the end of February to start? I just feel like you go with a different veteran behind Swayman. I mean, it's been like the guy's been here forever. He's been here for like a decade and a half. So it makes sense to move on from Tuca now and give this core one more chance. And it doesn't make sense to like say, okay, let's start a rebuild now because Bergeron's got to be back. It seems like Krejci wants to be back. Taylor Hall basically doesn't have any leverage because he came out publicly and said he doesn't want to go to a place where he wants to be at a place where he can win, blah, 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 which is great if he wants to be with the Bruins on less of a contract. I'll take him back, no doubt about that. And Krejci said he won't play anywhere else. So I feel like they're going to give this core another opportunity. They do have some financial flexibility as well going forward where they can sign somebody to that blue line. But overall, it's they're going to be the biggest question is going to be the goalie and what you're going to do with Tuka Rask. The other thing about Tuka, Mike, he's been a really good goalie for a long period of time. But the problem is when you need a Tuka, like his playoff numbers are good statistically. But when you need him to steal you games, he's never done that. He didn't steal you a game in the Islanders series. He never did that. You look on the other side of that, Bar- Barlamov did. You look at the Blue series, Bennington stole you games. Mm-hmm. Tuka, all the wins that the, the Bruins had against the Blues, most of them were blowouts. They won like seven to four etc. So it just he never had that big win that made you feel comfortable about the goaltender. So I feel like, you know, people are going to remember him as a pretty good goalie, but he underachieved. I mean, the Blackhawks series, you go back to two goals in 30 seconds in game six against that Blackhawks team. You should have forced a game seven and he gave up two goals in the final, what, 30 seconds of that game. There's just been too many performances like that over the years. No doubt about it. And by the way, it was Scott McLaughlin who wrote that article I read. It was uh, just a great oh, piece. Oh, yeah. He, yeah. yeah he, Scott's really good. He hosts uh, the hockey pod here at yeah, WWE yeah. as well. And, and, I mean, he's he's spot on. I mean, you know, you look at the goalie situation, the third line needs a complete revamp. He, he suggested getting Blake Coleman, which is a great that, – that would be a huge addition, what, what he's done in Tampa on that third line. And I keep a close eye on Tampa, not only because they're amazing to watch, but obviously most of those guys came through Syracuse to play, uh, you know, playing their AHL right. hockey with the crunch uh, from Vasilevsky to Palat to Point, all those guys. And – that's a really good team. We'll see if they can they can repeat. All right, I, I got a couple minutes left with you. Two, three minutes. G- give me your... 
I don't know if there's a harder city now, as time has gone on, to place the Mount Rushmore of their sports town in history. Who's on it for Boston at this point? You got a couple of immovables, right, with, I guess, Brady, Bobby Orr. I, mean, I don't know, is Bobby Orr not immovable anymore? I, I would think he is. I, I've always thought of Bobby Orr, Brady, and, like, Bill Russell on it, and then other people have Bird, and other people have Ted Williams. I mean, who's on this thing right now? Jeez, yeah, that's really, yeah, obviously Brady's on it. Brady's, He's immovable, you can't, Brady's on there. Yeah, yeah. and you, and same thing with Russell, right? I mean, you can't move so. Russell up yeah. that list, right? right? right. And he just went into all of them as a coach as well, which is remarkable I know. to think about in and of itself. So then it comes down to, you have to put Bobby Orr in there. I, I don't know how you I think so put, too, you have to. You have to put Bobby yeah. Orr on the list. And then, so the question becomes, do you put another Celtic on that list, or do you put, a Red Sox, and you mentioned Ted Williams. I'll tell you this, Mike. Another guy that deserves a lot of consideration for that list would be David Ortiz. Poppy, I've got Poppy. I have I, that's my fourth guy. I have him on there barely because of winning that he puts it over Williams. And then as far as Bird goes, it's kind of a wash. And Larry Bird's like my second favorite player in NBA history. But yeah, so man. it would come down for me. It would come down mm-hmm. between those three. Obviously, okay. I, you hit the nail on the head with Ted Williams, David Ortiz, and Larry Bird. It's tough for me not to give the edge to Bird just because. You go back to the 80s, he kind of revamped the the team. And I know that David Ortiz is maybe the biggest reason they reversed the curse in 2004. But Larry Bird was, his peak is one of the best peaks in NBA history. He won the MVP 84, 85, 86. Obviously won three championships. So I would have to give a slight edge to Larry Bird. But David Ortiz, he was here a couple of weeks ago, Mike. He had a procedure for if you remember a couple of years ago that shooting in the yep, Dominican yep. so he had a procedure he couldn't he was supposed to have it last year but because of COVID it wasn't considered to be you know an emergency surgery so he had to wait but you should see the reaction when this guy just walks into the ballpark he was just walking in the outfield he's a rock star it's oh my god he's a beetle it's unbelievable yeah. and I, I I can't I can't think and I'm sure there's been guys like this for other teams that you can think of I mean I can't think of a guy that in a big spot you would want up more than David Ortiz. And I know that, you know, he had his moments, obviously, in the ALCS against your Yankees. But I think back to that Cardinals series, the World Series that they won in 2013. This was after the Boston Marathon bombing. And they won the World Series that year. His numbers in the World Series, it it looks like a misprint. It really looks like a misprint. And I keep thinking back to that series. And why was Mike Matheny pitching to him? Nobody else on the Red Sox was hitting in that series. Like you had guys prior to that series that were hitting, but it made no sense to me. So, and he was a complete culture changer for the organization and just an icon for the famous quote that he had prior to the first game they played after the Boston marathon bombings, where he said, this is our bleeping city. I mean, he'll always be a national, not a local treasure. I think somewhat a national treasure as well, just because of all the, clutch moments in the postseason. I mean, that team, that 0-4 team that he was on, just had so many guys like that, like whether it be in, you know, a lot of people don't agree with his, what he does now, but Kurt Schilling was just a clutch guy, big time performer. He's all of fame. He's all of fame, period. Yeah, he should be in the Hall of Fame. fame. I mean, it's nothing to do with his baseball if he's not in the Hall of Fame. It's so dumb. So, and then Ortiz is just, it's it's tough for me not to have David Ortiz on that list. I mean, it kind of, I know, it kind of stings, but I mean, you can't go, you can't, I don't think you can put him over Larry Bird because Larry Bird was without question. I mean, it was it was him and Magic for basically. Yeah. I don't know. He had a little sprinkle in of 
like Moses Malone and Dr. J in the early 80s, and then Isaiah Thomas and his group with the Pistons came together at the end of that. But that whole decade was about two players. No doubt. No, they, they brought the NBA to like, I know I go back and forth with Bird and Poppy all the time. He does an unbelievable job. Host on WEEI. Get him on Twitter, at It's Brian Barrett, covering the New England sports scene. Brian, this was amazing. Thank you for coming on. Obviously, when we worked together, enjoyed our time. I knew you were a rising star. I'm so happy for your success. Not that you'll need me down the line, but if you ever need anything, please reach out. All right, Mike. Appreciate it, man. And um, next time the Sox for the Yankees, let's hope it's another sweep for the Red Sox. All right, we're done. Take care. <laughs> what a great job Brian Barrett does. Man, I, I loved work with him. I knew right away, you know, we were doing post games and, and he was doing fill-in stuff, had his own stuff going on and anchoring. And I, I said, this guy's... He's going to be a star someday. ML Sports Platter brought to you by Stanley Law Offices, Liverpool Physical Therapy, the Vince Aguera Consulting Group, and Prestwick Golf. Go get your golf clubs regripped today with Ed Patterson if you're in and around Central New York, right on Court Street. They also have golf clubs uh, in all the time, used and brand new. Your best lines out there, tailor-made, Titleist, Callaway, you name it, Mizuno. Go get uh, some clubs with Ed and get your clubs, if you have them now, regripped as well. Presswood Golf, a proud ML Sports Platter sponsor. And a tip of the cap, thank you as well to the Whitaker and Swan families for their support of the program, as well as our good pals over at Ken's Auto Detailing. Hit me on Twitter at Mike L Sports. Thanks to Brian Barrett. As I always tell you, enjoy the games. Snow falls on an old apartment. Inside, the holiday season is in swing. On the first floor, Cokes are poured and stories shared among friends. Three flights up, one generation passes down the family recipe to the next. Inside every home, there's magic. Coca-Cola. Real magic. Enjoy the real magic of the season with close friends, family, and refreshing Coca-Cola paired with all your holiday meals. Lowe's Provember event is back. In celebration of pros, we're offering special values on top tools to get any job done right. Head into Lowe's and check out the largest selection of DeWalt power tools and accessories. Right now, you can get a guaranteed tough DeWalt 20-volt max bear tool free when you buy a DeWalt 20-volt max drill or impact driver kit. Shop in-store or order online. Lowe's, the new home for pros. Valid through 1-5 while supplies last. Selection varies by location. U.S. only. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.